Section 1. The Key of Comradeship. Chapter 1. Welcome to the Marital Mystery Tour. Ladies first. Picture this. You answer a tap, tap, tap at the door. There stands a tall man in a tailored business suit. What could such an elegantly dressed guy want with us, you wonder? He's too well-dressed for a salesman. Slightly bowing, he says, I am Mr. Michaels, and I represent... The rest of his sentence is lost in a huge clap of thunder. That's weird, you think, glancing up at the clear, sunny sky. You and your husband have inherited a magnificent estate from a fabulously rich relative, Mr. Michaels explains, and he wants to take you there the following morning. So will you please inform your husband and be ready to go tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock? Sure, you say. Whatever. But closing the door, you think maybe he's duping you into one of those timeshare presentations, and you should just cancel and forget about it. So you reopen the door, but Mr. Michaels has vanished. Where did he go so quickly, you marvel? Bemused, you walk back to the family room, where your husband is planted in front of an endless string of TV sports shows. Honey, the strangest thing just happened, you begin. You tell him about Mr. Michaels, the thunder, and the estate. He gives you that look that he thinks looks like he's listening, but you know he's really still watching the game. All right, you decide. I guess I'll have to wait and see what happens. But waiting is hard, and sleeping is harder. You're exhausted from a busy day, but as soon as your head hits the pillow, the little thought mice start running around inside your brain. Is this guy for real? Did we really get an inheritance? Is this going to end up costing us thousands of dollars? I'll bet it's a pyramid scheme, like selling room deionizers or vitamins or aloe vera juice products, the thought mice insist. Every half hour, you're looking at the clock until you finally doze off around 3.30. As dawn breaks, you drag yourself out of bed and into the shower. What's an appropriate outfit for touring an estate? You stand in front of your closet, trying to decide whether to dress up or just throw on jeans and a t-shirt in case Mr. Michaels doesn't make an appearance. You compromise. A new pair of jeans with a light gray sweater and a bit of makeup. Promptly at eight, a tap, tap, tap. How did I manage to hear that over the sound of the running dishwasher and the clothes dryer? Sends you flying to the front door. Honey, he's here, you yell in the general direction of the computer desk where your husband sits paying bills. Are you ready to go? Who's here? Go where? He mutters into the checkbook. When he looks up and sees you standing expectantly in the doorway with the immaculately attired Mr. Michaels, you realize with embarrassment that your dearly beloved hasn't shaved, and he's wearing a faded polo shirt and the stained Levi's he wore the last time he painted the living room. He jumps up out of his chair as you mumble an introduction. Mr. Michaels holds out his hand, and your husband shakes it. They walk to the front door, chatting like old buddies, and you run to the kitchen to grab your purse and scurry after them out the door. That's when you see the sleek, gleaming white limousine. And what's happened to your husband? Wasn't he just dressed like a schlump? You blink at his freshly shaved face, combed hair, and crisply pressed button-down shirt. Come on, hun. You're keeping us waiting, he says from the back seat of the limo. Mr. Michaels is taking us on a tour of our new property. Luckily for him, you fight the urge to strangle him. Visions of the Trump World Tower collide with skepticism as you leave the city limits. 
Do you think he's for real? You whisper to your husband. I mean, could this still be some kind of gigantic, expensive hoax, don't you think? Honey, I don't know. I'm just going to wait and see. Why don't you relax and enjoy the ride? Why does he always talk to me like I'm a total idiot, you inwardly fume as you turn away from him and stare out the window? The limo rounds a bend in the road, and you approach burnished brass gates ornately inscribed with the words, Your Marriage. This feels like a dream, you think, and your heart pounds as you look around for hidden cameras. You're about to ask Mr. Michaels if you're on a new television reality show when he turns to you with a formal smile. Welcome to your marital mystery tour, he begins. All you see within these grounds belongs to the two of you. My job is to show you its buildings and describe all that they may contain for you. However, their actual contents will remain a mystery until you take the keys I hand you and explore them for yourself. Your mouth drops open as your eyes scan the acreage stretched out before you. A pillared mansion and landscaped lawn set amid cultivated fields, a brightly painted barn and silo, manicured flower gardens and grassy hillsides dotted with grazing cattle and horses. There is much more here than meets the eye, Mr. Michaels continues. The wealth of your estate is infinite, extending far beyond what you see from here. Let us begin with the main house. Ah, here is the one. He chooses a polished key from a ring attached to his vest pocket. It catches the sunlight as he extends his hand toward the two of you. This is the key of comradeship. Well, you'd better give it to me, you say. He loses everything. And you clip it onto a key ring attached to your purse. And gentlemen. Okay, guys. So you're in the middle of an NBA game when your wife burst into the TV room with some crazy story about a door-to-door salesman with one of those you-have-a-chance-to-win schemes. She insists he's not a salesman, but you've been round this bin with her before. So you finish watching the game while she goes on about how you need to be ready to go at 8 a.m. because Mr. Mitchell or something is going to be back to pick us up. Yeah, right, hon. I'll believe it when I see it. You are asleep as soon as you get under the covers, but your wife keeps waking you up with her tossing and turning. Finally, she gets out of bed, and you're dead to the world for another hour or so. Good grief. Does she have to turn on every light in the house just to get dressed in the morning? Why is she standing in front of the closet like that? Next thing you know, I'll be hearing, Honey, I don't have a thing to wear. Guess there's no use trying to get any more sleep around here. So you throw on some clothes, gulp a bowl of cereal, and sit down to tackle the checkbook. Will this woman ever learn to control her spending? Will we ever get out from under the ridiculous interest rates on our credit cards? How can I stretch this paycheck to pay all these bills? Tapping your pencil on the desk, you purse your lips and frown at the figures and vaguely hear your wife say something about going somewhere. It's Saturday and you don't remember having anything on your calendar. Suddenly, she's standing expectantly in the doorway with someone dressed like Ed McMahon. But the guy's cool. He hands you a new blue button-down shirt with a crested logo, M.M. Tour. Hmm, must be his business logo, kind of like the last golf tournament I played in. And the next thing you know, he's got you in the back seat of his Hummer limo with all the hot coffee and bagels you could possibly want. What on earth can be taking that woman so long? Wasn't she just here a second ago? We're keeping this guy waiting, and she knows how much I hate to make people wait for us. Why does she always do this to me? When she makes her appearance, you settle back, relieved, and enjoy the ride. 
The limo rounds a bend in the road, and you're facing huge brass gates. Your marriage, you read. Unusual name. You slide out of the car and look around. Mr. Michael says, Welcome to your marital mystery tour. All this stuff is yours, and he's going to give you the keys after the tour. Wow, not bad. Who did he say this belonged to before? Something about a mystery, but you'll have to catch up on the details later. For now, you just want to look around at all this land. Bet I can make a killing with this place on the real estate market, you figure. There is much more here than what meets your eye, Mr. Michaels continues. Just as I thought. Worth a bundle. I'll have to call an agent when we get home. I hope my wife is getting all the details. What's he saying about infinite? Let us begin with the main house. Ah, here's the one. He slips a shiny key from its ring and holds it out to you. This, he announces, is the key of comradeship. As you reach for it, your wife steps between you and Mr. Michaels. Well, you better give it to me, she says. He loses everything. Only my keys and my glasses and the checkbook, but why does she always have to act so superior? I'm not some stupid kid, and she loses stuff too. But she snaps the key onto her key ring and unlocks the door. Alan and I set off across a grassy quadrangle at Colorado State University on a dewy June morning in 1974. Alan as light on his feet as a gazelle, gliding across the turf, and I lumbering along behind him, gasping for breath in the thin mountain air. Why was I torturing myself this way? Oh, yeah, I was trying to stay in shape for gymnastics and Alan was helping me. That's what friends are for. A year later, we entered into marriage with a solid friendship forming its foundation. Before our first date, we'd spent many hours together talking, studying the Bible, working out in the gym, hiking, and getting to know each other in a variety of situations. Our relationship developed quickly. As new Campus Crusade for Christ staff members in training with athletes in action, we spent nearly every waking hour of the day in each other's company. From our morning jog through three daily cafeteria meals, several seminary-type classes, an afternoon gymnastic workout, and evening study sessions, until our final, see you tomorrow, we were together. We had been acquaintances in college, but beyond the gym, our orbits never intersected. Early in his freshman year, Alan had accepted Christ as his Savior and thrown himself wholeheartedly into Christian activities. He and several other like-minded gymnasts organized Jimmies for Jesus and performed in exhibitions to share God's love with their audiences. That was my junior year. Yes, Alan married an older woman. The previous year, 1970, I had been part of a group of students who had, quote, taken over the administration building. I had long, frizzy hair parted in the middle and wore my dad's old army jacket, bell-bottom blue jeans, and a bra only when I absolutely had to. But in February 1973, by God's boundless grace, and much to the dismay of my Jewish parents, I accepted Jesus as my Messiah. Grateful for my salvation and filled with zeal, I felt compelled to tell the immediate world how they could go to heaven by personally receiving Christ. 
When Alan learned the following spring that I, like he, was joining athletes in action, he called to encourage me. We, like other CCC staff members, were asking individuals and churches to sponsor us financially to attend the training in Colorado. I appreciated his emotional support since I'd been a Christian for so short a time and had relatively few contacts. Eventually, because we both lived in the East, we decided to share expenses and drive West together. In the semi-hypnotic state induced by driving through Nebraska's cornfields, I recalled someone telling me during our college days that Alan was Jewish. At that time, I decided my source was misinformed because of Alan's involvement in Jimmy's for Jesus. I'd thought no one could be Jewish and Christian at the same time. Now, however, I realized how possible it was, and I looked at my traveling companion in a new light. Several months earlier, my friend Mary had suggested listing the qualities I desired in a husband so I could pray about it and recognize this man when he came into my life. My list consisted of 43 characteristics ranging from number one, Jewish background, through a well-rounded assortment of spiritual qualities to number 43, six feet tall. I placed my order for a tall man of prayer, integrity, good humor, and athletic ability with strong leadership potential. In other words, I didn't want to be able to push him around. Now I turned to my comrade and asked, Alan, you're Jewish, aren't you? Surprised by my question about his religious upbringing, he hesitantly responded, yes. The realization hit me like a wet sponge. Oh no, Lord, not Alan. This definitely was not the man of my dreams. Why, he was only five feet six. He didn't play the guitar or write poetry, and he had sloppy handwriting and about the worst spelling of any college graduate I had ever met. No, not Alan. Why, I was far too comfortable with Alan. He was like an old shoe. He was my friend. Do you follow my line of reasoning? I had thought that in order to love a man, my stomach had to be so full of butterflies that I was practically nauseous. I had equated love with a tummy-turning emotion reserved for guys who aroused my sexual appetite and in whose company I felt perpetually flustered. But Alan was my friend. He told silly jokes and made me laugh. He asked me deep, probing questions to draw out my thoughts and opinions, and then we'd argue about them. He saw me when I was all sweaty and covered with chalk from the gym, and I didn't have to primp or look perfect to impress him. Webster's Student's Dictionary defines comrade as, quote, a chamber fellow, companion, or associate. Derived from the Latin word for chamber, it evokes an image of an associate, someone joined with another in action or function, a colleague, a partner, an accomplice, a close companion. In marriage, a comrade is one who shares not only the bedroom, 
but also the boardroom as a joint decision maker. The word comrade reminds me of Bill Malden's Pulitzer Prize-winning World War II cartoons of two American G.I.s, Willie and Joe. They share the struggle to survive the agonies of war by sticking with each other through everything from boot camp to back home again. They meet each situation head-on with humor and purpose, never wavering in their loyalty to each other. If Willie lags behind, Joe waits for him to catch up. If Joe loses some of his rations, Willie shares his. They're comrades, equals, working together for a common purpose. How many of us view our marriage in this way? From the honeymooners to the Simpsons, the media has portrayed marriage as an armed truce at its best and an all-out war at its worst. My generation grew up laughing at Ralph and Alice Cramden insulting each other, little realizing how destructive such a pattern can be for a marriage, quote, made in heaven. If your marriage is missing the friendship factor, do not despair. In the next chapter, Alan and I suggest ways to build friendship into your relationship. Stop here first and turn the key in the comradeship lock by discussing the following questions with your spouse. Key turning questions. Number one, whom would you consider to be a comrade in your life? What are the characteristics of that relationship? Number two, do you see your spouse as a comrade? If yes, in what ways? If no, why not? 